This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of February 8th, 2016, and this is Michael Howley welcoming you to episode 312 of Defender Radio. If there's one thing the media loves, it's when wild animals attack humans. It's got everything. Adventure, blood, trauma, and typically, a hunt for the offending animal. There's also all kinds of experts to speak with, charts and maps to create, and wonderful ways to play with headlines. They are, of course, making a minor problem much, much worse. Many of us involved in wildlife advocacy have learned that it's typically people who are at fault for conflict, be it violence or the flower-eating variety. And there's a growing body of evidence that indicates just how responsible humans are for conflicts with wildlife. A study published by a group of scientists this month in the journal Scientific Reports highlights some of the major contributing factors to the increase in wildlife conflict with large predators around the world. And the biggest factors lay solely in the opposable thumbs of the human race. Lead author of the study, Dr. Vincenzo Pentriani of the Spanish Council of Scientific Research, joined Defender Radio to discuss the findings of this group, how we as a species can change our ways for the betterment of wildlife, and what the consequences could be if we don't. Can you tell me what started the interest in doing a study of this this caliber, this size, looking at all of this history and all of these different types of conflicts and attacks? Yes. Well, I, I think that we were very intrigued by this escalation of large carnivore attacks on humans in North America and Europe that was reported in the last year in media and the scientific literature. I think that this was the first step. Um, we were very interested to this specific topic because uh, it has very, very important uh, social consequences uh, as well as uh, consequences on large carnivore conservation. You know, uh, um, it's extremely important to be to be safe to feel safe when you are enjoying, for example, when you are enjoying uh, outdoor activities. So uh, human safety is extremely important and at the same time it's also important to avoid that some uh, risky enhancing behavior can uh, increase the, prob- the probability of, la- of a large carnivore attacks because this always ends with the, with the killing of the carnivore and in general, and it is the most important thing, with a very bad feeling towards carnivores. There is a lot of literature now, uh, uh, it's certainly growing, about the importance of conserving and protecting large carnivores, not just in general populations, but also their social structure. Is that something you hope will come from this research you have done? Well, we, we didn't focus really on, on the social structure on, of, of carnivores. Uh, but it is, it is true that uh, many other uh, factors, many factors can be behind 
the decision of a, of a carnivore to, to attack uh, a person. But uh, I think that the, probably the most important uh, message uh, and the result of our study is that uh, mm, we can mm, really decrease the number of um, large carnivore attacks on human uh, by modifying our attitude where we are in the field. I mean, not only in the field, because in several cases, some population, for example, in the case of the coyote, uh, are more or less urban, we can say urban population, so some attacks uh, happen in urban habitats. Yes. And that's something uh, I, I find very interesting. You do touch on the lack of education for people. Now, growing up between watching, you know, the old Western movies, many of which were filmed yes. in Spain uh, right. uh, with my father, and even just general things you would pick up around school or, or the news, we were always told, you know, how to avoid, for example, bears. Um, you know, you don't leave your food out. You you go and you bury your your bathroom needs. You you do all of these different things, and it's just general knowledge for me now. But clearly, a lot of these lessons have not been passed on to the next generation, uh, or at least to people who are new to different areas. Is there a, an ideal way that those of us involved in science or wildlife advocacy? can better tell people, particularly those who are from urban areas, how to prevent these risky behaviors? Yes. Mm, I mean, one of the, of the results of our study was that uh, 50% of the attacks has been promoted by uh, a wrong behavior. And especially, for example, things that seems very obvious, probably, but that are not respected where you are in the field. Imagine, for example, that you are in, in a sharing the landscape or you are uh, in holidays in an area where different species of large carnivores uh, inhabit. So imagine that you decide to go running, but probably you can try to avoid to go running alone and uh, during the night, or uh, at dusk. It seems very obvious, but uh, many people that have been attacked by, for example, for example uh, cougars, were doing activity at twilight or at night. Or another uh, common mistake is to, do to, to walk with unleashed dog. So this is another uh, is another element that uh, has determined another factor that has determined a lot of attacks because uh, if you are walking with an unleashed dog and the dog uh, perceives feel the presence of, a, of, for example, a bear, probably he will start to run after the bear and then will come back to you with the bear. So um, this is another important thing that you could try to avoid. Or, yeah, it's not a game of fetch you want to be playing. Yes, exactly. And uh, also, for example, well, uh, approaching a female with young is another 
uh, odd behavior that several people have uh, showed and uh, that has determined an attack just because the female want to defend uh, cats. But what what was very surprising was, for example, the fact that uh, children left uh, unattended by their parents uh, was um, was the most important uh, cause of an attack. So this is something quite uh, you can imagine how how sad is the the scenario, the story. Uh, but this was really uh, the fault of uh, parents that decide to leave uh, unattended the, their child in a, in, a, in an area where large carnivore lives. I can imagine that uh, many people living in, in town, for example, uh, are used to to to, to leave their children outside in in the park playing alone so but it is not the same when for example they move to the vancouver island or another other places in british columbia or alaska when they rent a cabin for holidays in the middle of the forest so in this case if you live uh, your child outside alone imagine uh, just a young um, person of two three four years and a large carnival come in near cabin this can be uh, i mean the this young person can be seen as a as a prey for for a bear or a cougar so and this is something that can be easily avoided just uh, being close to the to the child or um, making the um, the child in a safe situation yeah and that's something it's it's always upsetting when you hear those stories because yes. From our position of having read about all of this, we know exactly what went wrong. And as you mentioned earlier, sadly, the predator is always killed, uh, even though they were simply being what they are. And I think that also really, to me, opens the line of discussion about natural selection and artificial selection. This is something I've touched on a little bit with some other researchers. And I find it fascinating that we are causing a shift in evolution through persecution, so hunting and trapping, um, and how that's influencing behavior of entire species or populations. Yes, yes, our impact can be very strong. I mean, especially during period of very high persecution, uh, we have uh, there are many studies that have shown that we have uh, shaped uh, the behavior of the of animal population because in many cases uh, boldest individuals are the first to be eliminated and the shyest one are the one that remain in the population so sure the, we have a big impact on uh, on 
large carnivore population, not only on the size, but also on the on the on, on their uh, personality. Well, and why is it bad? This is something that I don't know necessarily is clear in, in at least the article portions I read. Why is it negative to have more shy individuals than bold individuals in a population? What what does that do to the likelihood or possibility of attack or conflict? Well, in, in reality, is is a very is a very complex um, topic because uh, it is possible, um, as we have, uh, um, I mean, we have start to promote this idea in the in the paper. Also, if we is it just speculation because we don't have any real data about that. But uh, it is true that uh, the attacks can be mediated by the mm, the personality of the animals that uh, in many cases depends on uh, on the level of persecution of uh, other human influence uh, in landscapes. So, I mean, it's not necessarily negative or positive but the combination of uh, uh, animal personalities landscapes uh, and other external factor like uh, the moment when they are more active uh, the activity of people all these elements need to be mm, taken into account to really understand the factors behind uh, attacks i mean it's a very complex uh, uh, phenomenon. We have tried to simplify by showing, especially by showing that uh, uh, we are causing uh, at least half of the attacks recorded every year, attacks on humans. But the problem is very complex. I mean, uh, yes. So what happens now? Uh, now, I mean, you've got, as I said, I to me, this feels almost like a game changer study because you do lay out all of these different factors that are influencing conflict between humans and non-human animals. And it is clear that there are times when we directly are causing it, such as the, I think it was 47.5% of the time that we exercise risk-increasing behavior. But then it's also a lot of us going into an environment and changing the landscape or persecuting certain behavior uh, elements which cause a shift in phenotypes in a population. So what do we do now? Now that we've got this this clear set of data that shows we're causing these problems, how do we move forward to reduce these problems? Well, I think that the first and most important uh, element that we have is uh, people, education, and information. I mean, this is probably the best, the best, the most important tool we have to reduce this attack. And not only people living in the countryside, but also people living in urban areas, because uh, many of these people will engage in outdoor leisure activities. Uh, for example, in uh, late spring, summer, or autumn, when most uh, of the attacks uh, happens. So we think that it's really extremely, extremely important uh, for uh, to to help this coexistence, this very important 
coexisting between humans and large carnivore um, to in, inform, educate uh, people and increase the effort in this practice. I know that especially in, uh, in North America many effort has been done in the past on this but probably we need more effort because uh, the number of uh, people engaged in uh, outdoor activity has increased a lot and consequently the number or the, the frequency of wrong behavior has increased and directly the number of attacks increased too. Yeah, there's there's a, a complete causal link and it's actually interesting. My my introduction to that concept actually came from shark attacks. Um ah, okay. it's just a, an interest I have is sharks and learning that when you look at the number of people going into the water, where they're going mm -hmm. into the water, what time of day they're going into the water, and even what other yes. activities are happening around them and put that on top of the increase in shark attacks, it's it's so absolutely clear that we are the ones through our actions that have created this shift. And it's it's been very right. slow, though, for people to accept that we are ultimately responsible. Sure. And we, we have also to, um, to bear in mind that uh, every year there are, there are thousands of interactions between people and large carnivores with no injuries or fatalities at all. So um, it is true that uh, some numbers can be shocking. I mean, uh, we have analyzed, analyzed uh, 700 attacks, but 700 attacks over a period of 60 years. So um, this means few attacks per year and uh, for example um, other type of wildlife like for example mosquitoes, uh, spiders, snails, snakes, domestic dogs for example are responsible of uh, more human fatalities every year than large carnivores. So we have to bear in mind always that this is a very rare phenomenon but it's also uh, evidently is also shocking because we are not used to be attacked by large carnivores. So when this happens, media um, frequently uh, are they sensationalize. Over, overplay. Yes, they they overplay uh, this. Uh, such rare events. So there are plenty of sensational texts. For example, we have a, in, in our paper, we publish online, um, one supporter, supporting information about some of these sensational texts or horrible pictures that generally, uh, are used to, are used when, uh, one of these attacks happen. So this is not really uh, helpful because uh, uh, these these appeal more to the public's emotions than to their logic. So people frequently are uh, frightened by very large carnivores like uh, bears, for example. But uh, most of the attacks 
uh, are due to the smallest one, like coyotes and cougars. So we have to start also to, to think to these species in a different way and in a more rational way. Also because, uh, and we, this is one of the things we show in the study, uh, if we change our attitude, we can save a lot of life. To learn more about Dr. Vincenzo Pentoriani, visit vincenzopentoriani.org. His study is available online at nature.com. That's the show for this week. I want to thank Dr. Pentriani, who joined us direct from Spain this week, as well as all of you for continuing to listen to and support Defender Radio. Until next time, this is Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.